And this week we are doing one of our lists. Mm-hmm. We have debated what to call this list more than we've debated what's on the list. Fair. <laughs> I agree. I'll just say the genesis of this, of this list, actually, I need to give credit to a friend of mine on social media that I don't even really know in real life. We're just have a mutual friend, Marla. And she started talking about one of these movies we're going to talk about and was like, I never realized how deranged this, the premise of this movie is, which got me thinking about films that are like lighthearted comedies that people love romantic, most of them romantic comedies, lighthearted, but really they're, extremely disturbing yeah so this is going to be our list of beloved yet outrageously deranged as we're calling it movies yes okay this is that's outrageous and i am chrissy and i'm Anne. and this is the podcast where we talk about you know, the news of the week and uh, under the radar and underappreciated pop culture and movies. How about that? That's a good line. Yeah. Yeah. So, and we, I have a couple of fun stories this week. Oh, good. We could use it. I feel like the world is in once again, or I should just say consistently uh, terrible. Oh, I know. I can't even think about it. It's so sad. Ah, okay, but here we go. This story is about a cabin, okay. an entire cabin in Michigan that was stolen. Wow. Yeah, someone's cabin was stolen, which is no easy feat, as this article takes pains to point out. I wouldn't think so, unless it was like a modular home or whatever those things are. Yeah, well, this was, I think it is like a from a prefab kind of yeah, thing. Yeah, like one of those, like, it's like a trailer, but not really a trailer. Yeah, it's a 12-foot by 28-foot cabin, so not small, really. Yeah, I have a friend whose parents live in one of those, where it's like, I guess, technically, it's a trailer, but it looks like it's just a straight-up regular house, but it's just, it's not. Yeah, this one has a door, and it has like a little uh, a front porch, and... Yeah, like you would never know. Yeah, I mean, it's like, it's, yeah, it's like a, a real cabin, but... Uh, this man had lived there for two years and left in November, um, to go someplace else. And then he came back in, um, January and completely gone. No, gone. Can you imagine like you, you pull up, you're like, this is where my <laughs> house is. And then you, you, you must think, um, have I lost my mind? Have I lost my mind? Am I in the wrong place? Yeah. That once when our car got stolen, it was the same thing where I went down into the drive, you know, the underground parking and was like, huh? Well, the car's not here. (laughs) And it's like, it's for a while. It doesn't even occur to you that it could be that it was taken. Like, it's like, maybe I, did I park on the street for some reason? Did I, I mean, but a whole house, I mean, man. Whole house, yes. Well, they they did. They took everything out of it, and that was left. So all this guy's stuff. They put all his stuff outside and took just the. That's all. That's adding insult to injury. <laughs> that that element makes it worse. Yeah. Well, the police were like, they've never seen anything like this. 
they think that they took everything out of the house because of a weight issue. Not that they were like trying to be nice and leave someone all their belongings. Yeah, they weren't like, this could be a family heirloom. Let's leave it behind. No, but they, they said it had to have required several people and, uh, you know, some heavy duty equipment to move this house. And so the other thing is, how did nobody see this house being cabin being stolen? Okay. That was going to be my other question. Is this in a remote area or is this in a neighborhood? No, it, it is in a remote, um, a remote area, but I mean, there are other places or it's not like completely by itself. Right. I mean, and maybe not, here's what I'm guessing since it's winter, maybe none of these cabins are, um, heated. So maybe a lot of people just leave. Yeah. Like this is like a summer, a summer destination on the water or something that gets too cold for winter. Yeah. Like a seasonal. Yeah. So someone has taken off with this cabin and um, (laughs) they're trying, like they're looking on places like Craigslist and Facebook marketplace to see if it's going to like show up for sale. How would they know that's the home though? If it's one of those prefab homes. Right. And that's what they say. Cause there's so many of them. You can't like, tell. Aren't there a million? I mean, do they have a serial code on them or something? Yeah. I don't know. Well, that's what they were saying it is going to, that is making it very difficult to try to find this cabin. That is wild. They said that, you know, every year around just under 10,000 homeowners fall victim to house stealing. <laughs> that is generally fraud and identity theft, not literally physically moving a house. I mean, they could have just moved it down the block and been like, this is mine now. Yeah, they, they can't. <laughs> Look at this view. They, they have no idea where this thing is. Um, they said uh, back in uh, last year, last November in Ohio, a 58 foot pedestrian bridge was stolen but they did discover that in a uh, neighborhood county that and had been dis- disassembled. Why would you do that? I have no idea. I mean, look, the perfect crime, I guess, would be steal this house in Michigan and then take it to, you know, another state. And yeah. then I guess you just buy land somewhere. Like I'm buying the land and then you just roll up with that house on there. It's actually, if you can get away with it, the perfect crime. It kind of is. Oh, that's a shit. So, do, I mean, I hope that they have insurance on that house. I hope so too. How does that I mean, work? Hey, I need a whole new house. Someone stole it. <laughs> what box do you check on the paperwork there? Yeah, I know. It's quite, it is. Like you said, you go home, you go, oh, I'm going to go to the cabin to get some of my stuff. Wow. Not there. Not there. What a world. What a world. Here's another, here's another row. I actually stumbled across upon this story from another story, because this week TSA agents discovered a slow cooker with $10,000 in it. Okay. Just cash inside the slow cooker? Cash all like sort of tucked in as if they were trying to hide it. Now, why are you bringing a slow cooker on the airplane? Surely there's an easier way to transport this cash would be my first question. My first remark. Yes. And I didn't know this. I mean, you're allowed to bring however much cash you want on a, on a plane, but if you have $10,000 or more in cash, you will get stopped by a TSA agent. Okay. So maybe the slow cooker person knew this and decided to try to hide the money in a slow cooker, but they're like, we found that. But I would also be like, why are you, who's bringing a slow cooker? And so that alone, the slow cooker alone would 
make me pull them on out of line. Yeah, of course, because it's also, it's a metal object. Why are you bringing Like You're better off throwing it in like a little duffel bag and throwing it in your purse, in your bag that you're checking. Yeah, exactly. And then probably nothing would have happened, but, and and nothing did happen. They, I mean, they, they had to question this woman and then they let her go, but they were like, why are you putting this like exactly our questions? They didn't get any good answers from her, but the TSA every year comes out with their list of top 10 things they've confiscated. Oh, the most, yeah, really wild items like machetes and Exactly. Yes, exactly. And so this, this was last year for 2021. This was last year's list. Okay. And they actually rank them in order. So of like most outrage, the most outrageous items confiscated by TSA. Yeah. Although I have to say one of them, I'm going to disagree with that. I, I don't, I, anyway, I think that was an honest mistake, but all right. Number 10, someone put bullets in a deodorant stick. That's dumb. Okay. That was at Atlantic city. Okay. Well, okay. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Number nine, this is like, just, just, you just have to scratch your head thinking, why did you think you were going to get through security with this? Number nine was a long barreled antique revolver. Again, why couldn't you just check that? Can you check that if it doesn't have any bullets in it? I don't know if you can check it or you should ship it. Like if it's some kind of heirloom, ship it. No. Okay. Okay. This is a really good one crystal meth hidden inside a breakfast burrito. That's actually pretty smart. (laughs) That's actually a pretty smart place to hide the drugs. That was at the William Hobby airport. I don't know where that airport. I have a feeling that whoever this person was looked like they were on crystal meth. And that's probably why they got stopped. Not, (laughs) not based on where they hit it. Cause I actually think that's quite smart. (laughs) Yes. Uh, number seven, I saw a picture of this one a firearm concealed in a belt buckle. So it was like one of these kind of, it wasn't in Texas, but you know, these like big kind of Texas belt buckles. Yeah. Like the big, the big thing on front. Yeah. Yeah. But it had an actual revolver, like that you could take out like in it. I mean, I would just confiscate that for being lame. (laughs) You're like, no, this is, this not, isn't criminal. You're just a loser. And I would, yeah, I think that was in Hawaii. Um, Number six, a well-worn heavy-duty <laughs> cleaver found at Harrisburg International Airport. Uh-oh. Yeah, I saw that one too. Okay, this is the one that I think is an honest mistake, and I only say this after my trip out west last summer. Number five was bear spray. Oh, I can't tell you the amount of times we've been pulled, we've been like, you can't bring this on the plane. Like, if, especially if we were, someone else was packing. Um, aerosol. I mean, I can't tell you how many like beauty products I've lost because it was aerosol or it was too many ounces, like air spray. Agreed. I think it's something you throw in the bag. Yeah. Well, also it's uh, bear spray is expensive. I've learned that. And hopefully you don't use it. So you're still, you're buying this full thing. You don't want to leave it. Yeah. The amount of good sunscreen I've lost and like good hair products and stuff. Because they're like, you can, you can go back and pack it. I'm like, I don't have time to do that. No. I wonder how much stuff TSA keeps. Like if I had a perfectly good hair product, I wonder if someone's like, put that one aside and then they take it home. Yeah, could be, could be. Uh, Number four, here's another one, a well-worn heavy duty machete 
at Ronald Reagan Airport. It's his lucky machete, Chrissy. I saw it. That was a big, 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 big machete. He was meeting up with the guy with the well-worn cleaver. <laughs> Number three from Syracuse comes an assortment of fireworks. Yeah, some people are just really not right. Not thinking, not thinking. No. Uh, number two, a wine bottle holder made to look like several revolvers in San, San sorry, Sacramento. Um, but were they able to keep, keep it because it was just a wine holder? I don't think so. No, these were all confiscated, I believe. And I did see a picture. It was, again, bad taste. It's just a bunch of it. Somehow you cradle the bottle in these things that are revolvers. I, um, I mean, well, here's the thing. It's like, stop bringing gun stuff. Yeah, well, hello, America. And number one, someone attempted in New Orleans to bring a chainsaw. See, I would think what's wrong, chainsaws, oh, because it's gasoline in it? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you can turn that on and start killing people on the plane. Not to be dark about it, but. I mean, geez, if I can't bring hairspray, then when? Yeah, you can't bring it. I mean, why do you think you can bring these things? That's the other thing. So there you have it. That's the top 10 list from 2021. It's not as crazy as I thought. I think the craziest one, I think the burrito should have been number one, the crystal meth and the burrito. And I'm going to stand by that was the smartest one. And I guarantee the person just looked methed out and they were like, "Mm, (laughs) let's let's just take a little peek there. Oh my. All right, Ann. Now let's talk about something really fun. Our list. Yes. Okay. So we have one combined list. We're not like doing a, she said, she said. That's right. Okay. So let, and this is in no particular order. We haven't like said this is the most outrageous. Although I think we could probably do that in terms of some of these movies are just you know, wildly fucked up. And some of them were straight up criminal, like you could go to jail for. And probably yeah, there is, a, there is a spectrum. Some are less, yeah. less outrageous. Than yes. That. Some are just fucked up and some are cr- criminal activity <laughs> and a combination of both. It crosses the line into crime. So we'll start with, I think, one of the most outrageous films. Uh, however, one of your favorite films. Yeah. And that is, Overboard from 1987. Yes. Overboard is one of my favorite movies ever. It's one of the movies that no matter day or night, if I see it on TV, I stop what I'm doing and I watch it. And I mean that genuinely. I can, I can probably word for word do the entire movie. That's how much I love Overboard. Truly love. (laughs) However, um, the premise in and of itself is this is one that is criminal. Like, I mean, Kurt Russell should be still in prison for what he's done to Goldie Hawn. Yes. So uh, yes. Yeah. If you're not familiar with the premise of this film, Goldie Hawn plays this very rich asshole who's on a yacht that comes rolling into port in this little small town where Kurt Russell is a handyman. And she has him try to build uh, a, cl- a closet on her yacht. And is a total asshole about it. And, you know, he does this, you know, good job, theoretically. I mean, it's kind of weird, but anyway, she doesn't like it. And then says she refuses to pay him. 
just real asshole through and through. And then even like throws his tools over the side and he's, you know, obviously pissed off. And then later that evening, as she's, as they're pulling out, we never even under, I don't even know why they pulled into port there anyway, but anyway, Elks now, um, she goes out and falls off the boat and gets amnesia, gets pulled in, pulled into the town and they start putting her picture up saying, does anyone know this woman? Does anyone know this woman? Kurt Russell goes, I recognize that's that asshole on from the boat. So to get even, like this is what we're supposed to, she's getting even with her for being an asshole and not paying him. He devises a scheme in which he has his minor children go along with and friends that Goldie Hawn is in fact his wife and mother of his children. And he figures I'm going to bring her to my house and basically have her pay off her debt of what she owed me by caring for the house and the children. Yeah. Yep. Uh, house, house chores and childcare. Right. So he devises an entire backstory about how they met and what is straight up abusive. I mean, he makes her sleep on the cat, throws her in a bin in the water. I mean, it's wild what they do to this woman. Um, you know, so right now we've got him on kidnapping, falsifying, you know, evidence, um, you know, I, I don't even know. And then, you know, of course they start to fall in love, false identity, false identity, you name it. So then they start falling in love and she starts realize, realizing, you know, maybe she likes being with him. So they're having sex. So there's rape. We got rape. We got, add that, I'd throw that one on. Um, all the while. And what's really disturbing too, is that the children are so, you know, involved in going along with this scheme. Uh, you know, I think the children are also victims of their father. No, no, no. Yes. That's what I'm saying. Like, it's yeah. just fucked up how, and then his best friend, yes. Billy Pratt, everybody, you know, he, he ensnares everyone to, you know, go along with this deranged scheme. And all the while he's falling in love with her. Oh, she's not so bad, but it's, and and then what's funny is he keeps going like, man, how am I going to tell her? <laughs> you know, he's like, really like, geez, I really, you know, have to tell her the truth because at this point, Goldie Hawn's piece of shit husband who knew by the way, that she, he left her behind. So she's, you know, he's no Grant. Friend. Yes. Grant Staten. Um, he, 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 he realizes he has to go back and get her because the mother, uh, is, has been asking questions. Yeah. Edith. And so, you know, the jig is up, he comes, gets her. She's like, I can't believe you did this to me. Right. Well, he, and let me just say, just to interrupt real quick, he's also guilty of a crime because he has abandoned his wife. Right. Yeah. He's, I'm sure a, he's guilty of abandonment. Yeah. I'm sure that's some sort of crime too, but yeah. I mean, not nearly as bad as Kurt Russell. No, but he, the whole reason he abandons her is so that he can have other women on the yacht that he has sex with. So there's also infidelity. Yeah, but that's not, I mean, it's, it pales, pales in comparison to what Kurt Russell's done. Oh yeah, no, I totally agree. But there's many levels of deceit, lying Correct. and horribleness happening in this feel good rom-com. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So then 
she naturally is upset. Although you'd think she'd be even more upset. She's not even like mad. She just is more heartbroken that this has happened. I think also, I think again, a lot of that has to do with the children who she thought were her kids. Now she's like, these aren't even my kids, but she loves them. Yeah. So cut to, you know, the ending of the film where they both jump off the, you know, the boats to be reunited and they couldn't be happier. And you're like, oh my God, I'm so happy that they're together. All no criminal. I mean, they're planning on keeping the family going and she wants to have another child with him. That's the end. He's like, what, what's one thing I could give you that you don't already have. And she's like a little girl. (laughs) It's a wild, I mean, it could be turned around. You could make overboard as a thriller. It's also right. And this is what you're saying. I'm just going to reiterate it. He's done all these horrible things, but in the end he wins because now he's, he's presumably going to be possibly married to this woman who's got millions and millions of dollars. Like all of his financial worries are over and his worries about, you know, his children needing a mother. Like he's, he actually has solved all of his problems. It just shows you how charming Kurt Russell is because if that role was played by many other people, I mean, you just think what a monster, but instead you just go, I love Dean. Oh yeah. You really, you root for them to be together. Yeah, you do. And I still do. I love, I love nothing. Overboard makes me happy. (laughs) It makes me happy when it comes on. I'm like, yes, I am just delighted through and through the two of them are absolutely adorable. It's a wonderful movie. Yeah. There you go. Beloved yet outrageously deranged. Yes. Overboard. Matter of fact, I might watch it today. (laughs) Why not? All right. Next up, Anne, we are going to have, so there, there are some repeat offenders on this list. And one of them is Adam Sandler. Yeah. And again, I love Adam Sandler, but a lot of the premises are very disturbing and upsetting. Disturbing and upsetting. Well, here's the first one. And this is 51st dates from 2004, where uh, this is one of his favorite co-stars, Drew Barrymore, playing Lucy Whitmore. Yeah. yeah, and this is this is the one that Marla mentioned was 51st State. The premise of this one is Drew Barrymore has um, short-term memory loss. She was in an accident where basically every morning she wakes up and is reliving the same day, the day that that accident happened before the accident. So her, her father and her brother go painstakingly uh, recreate this day for her every single day so that she, you know, is living in basically like it's to me, I mean, I, I find that in and of itself abusive, like this, this false world that ends and then resets the next morning. Yes. It's like another amnesia story. Right. Um, but the problem is she can't even be like, it's amnesia and then build on a new life. Like right. how Goldie Hawn, you know, she was like, oh, I don't know who I am, but she, she, you know, she lives her life just as, is, you know, not knowing who she is. And this one, Lucy is, it's like her memory is wiped clean every morning to the next, which t- I can't even imagine like how terrible of a life that is. But anyway, in, in walks Adam Sandler. Who is a real ladies' man, Henry? Yeah, and he meets her at the diner that she goes to every morning because she does this every single day, and 
everyone's in on it. The people who run the diner, all the people, again, similar to overboard, everybody in that community kind of rallies around to know this is what we have to do for Lucy. And in strolls Sandler and talks to her and thinks she's charming and wonderful and wants to see her again um, and then realizes what's going on. And he was, he's informed as to like, what's up with her. Yeah. Well, they do spend the night together. When she wakes up, she starts screaming and then he starts screaming. Right. One of those sort of classic yeah. screaming. And yes. And then he finds out that she doesn't remember him at all. Yeah. And so, of course, to her, she's waking up with a stranger. A complete stranger. Who are you? What are you, what am I doing here? And so essentially he, he's trying to find, he, he realizes like this is the perfect girl. And what Marlon noted, which I never really thought about, but now I'm like, oh shit. Is that for someone who is like this consummate ladies, man, no strings attached type of person, Lucy really represents the perfect woman in that he never has to go deep with her ever. Yeah. The entire relationship will always be surface level because there's no time to build on anything. I think the reason he did that was because for the person that he does not have to do anything other than surface level, which is what he wants, he actually does go deep with her because he goes through all these lengths. He then starts filming so that he can present her with this uh, montage of their life together so to try to help jog her memory. So he, he, he's incapable of going deep with her because he only has 24 hours every day for her to get to know him and fall in love with him. But he does do all these things to try to make the relationship as real as it could be. Yeah, but it's still, it's not real. Like, it's still not, it's not. It's not, but then she, I mean, then, then it does work. I guess she can never get sick of him. (laughs) You know, she's not going to be like this fucking guy again. I mean, every day it's something new, but then, so then, you know, whatever. And they, at one point the family puts her in like, um, a, a care facility, Right. Where she's painting. And, and, and that was the big reveal. It's like, she doesn't remember him. She doesn't remember him. He comes to visit. She doesn't remember him each day. And then we see that she's, cause she's an artist and she's painting and she's like, I have these memories of this man. So he somehow has made his way into her psyche. Right. And they realize, you know, in that 24 hours that they should in fact be together. So then we see what's happened down the road is that she since had a child with him. Yeah. And once again, every morning has to watch a video. She wakes up and it's like, good morning, watch this video. And she sees that she's lived this life, gave given birth and had a child and has to learn all of that every morning and then go up and greet this child that she doesn't know. Yeah. I mean, can you imagine? I, I feel like this is, this is, should be criminal. I mean, to me, that's where it's like, that's why this film is so ridiculous. There's no logic to it whatsoever. Like if you were pregnant, even if you had this bizarre condition, I think every day you'd start to be like, oh yeah, I'm pregnant. Hmm. Can you imagine you wake up, you have a huge stomach and you're like, oh my God. I mean, the, the level of fear. Right. 
But here's the thing, like, this is the difference. I think not that this movie is set up to be fiction. I mean, they're all fiction, but this is so far into the realm of fiction. Like Overboard is supposed to be like, oh yeah, this could happen. She could have amnesia and fall in love with him. Yeah. 50 first dates is like, this is never, this is a situation that's never going to happen, but let's just go with it. And we'll suspend disbelief that every day, even after she's had a baby, she still doesn't remember what's going on. That said, I really like this movie. <laughs> oh yeah, no, it's delightful. And I love Drew Barrymore and I love, again, it's a testament to the leads because you'd find them charming and you want them to be together no matter how fucked up the scenario. Check it out. (laughs) Check it out. All right. So here's Adam Sandler movie number two, the repeat offense. Yeah. You probably do every single Adam Sandler movie, but this one is 2011. Just go with it with his other favorite co-star, Jennifer Aniston. Yeah. Who I also love. Actually, we've talked, this was on my list of movies that makes me happy. Just go with it. But I, but I only watched it, watch it on TV and only catch the first half or the, or the last half. Um, and this, this one is also wildly upsetting because once again, Adam Sandler plays a very successful plastic surgeon, ladies, man, um, Jennifer Aniston plays his assistant mm-hmm. who's like his long suffering assistant. They're good friends. He's always, co- you know, commiserating about these women he's meeting and she's like, Oh, you're ridiculous. And he is at a party and meets Brooklyn Decker, who's probably about 19. And he has this thing where he wears a, fa- a fake wedding ring. Like that's his, that's his routine. And then he does a, a, you know, sob story to make women feel bad for him and sleep with them. So he meets her. He thinks she's just so charming. They uh, spend the whole night together, like on the beach. And she happens to find the fake wedding ring in his pocket. And so he like he actually was not wearing the ring when he met her. Right. So she's like, I can't believe you did this. I, you know, you're a married man, blah, 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 blah. So he concocts a story in which he's saying he's divorcing or divorced his wife, who he makes Jennifer Aniston pretend to be, and is the father of her two children. Jennifer Aniston is a single mother in this in this movie. Yeah. I don't even know if they even explain where the father is or what the father's deal is. I don't remember. No, they're divorced. But, and actually the, the part about the kids comes later because she sees, um, she, he doesn't mention the kids at first. She sees them. Oh, right. And then she's That's like, right. oh my God, you're a, you're a dad too. And he's like, oh yeah, I'm a dad too. Like, yeah, he just keeps getting deeper into this lie. Right. But he makes it out though. Like, he's like, I need to show her that I'm not a ladies man. Like his thinking is I need to prove that I'm not this ladies man by showing her. I, I, I can be a family man, which in and of itself is weird. Well, yeah, the whole thing is the whole, the whole thing is weird because he was never married. So when she found the wedding ring, all he had to say was, Oh, I, I don't know. That's my friends or that I'm not married. I've never been married. Like, right. He could have just told the truth at that point and story over. He could have told the real truth. and been like, I'm going to be honest with you. Sometimes I do this because it helps me pick up ladies. And I know that's gross. Yes. Or he, yes. Any of those things. Instead, he decides to double down on the fact that he was married and is getting divorced. And the other complication is 
he picks the name, this name Devlin, who is someone that uh, the Jennifer Aniston character, Catherine, went to college with and has complained about in the past, like this awful woman, Devlin, Devlin, Devlin. So he tells uh, Brooklyn Decker, who's named Palmer, that his fian- that his ex-wife is Devlin. Right. Why doesn't he just say her real name? There's lots of, he makes things way more complicated than they need to be. Exactly. And then of course they run into the real Devlin. So it's like, then you get into like the threes company farcical stuff that goes on with all of that. Yeah. So, but so what happens is he gets roped into a family trip because he wants to showcase to Brooklyn Decker. Look, I get along so great with my kids and my ex-wife and we're everything's great. And they go on this big family vacation. And, but what's crazy is he, he intends to be with this woman. Like he wants to marry her. Yes. And I, and it's like, so you're going to keep up this lie forever or are you one day going to go funny story? Um, (laughs) those actually aren't my kids at all. I was never married to her. Like, you know, again, it's like, what, when, when is he going to make this grand reveal? Right. What, yeah. What was his plan? And uh, yeah. What is he going to do? Spend Thanksgiving with them every other year and have them for Christmas. It's like, those aren't, again, he would then be in a situation where he was taking them by himself because clearly the ex-wife isn't going to come on every holiday vacation, whatever. Right. Right. It's not a long-term solution really is what he's, he's really got himself in a pickle, but in the end, it doesn't matter because as we knew what happened, it turns out he and Jennifer Aniston are in love. He and Jennifer Aniston fall in love. Yes. And she, uh, you know, again, this is sort of another one where they try to tie it up in a neat bow where no one's feelings get hurt because she goes back to New York and on the plane, she meets Andy Roddick. And it's like, oh, this is Brooklyn Decker. It's like, oh, well, everything's going to work out. for her. That's her real life husband. So wink, wink. I love this movie. No, I, I, it is one of my favorite movies as well, but it's, it, it's also, yeah, as you say, all, it's all about people lying to each other. But awful lies. Like, can you imagine, let's just say he did go through and he married her and then he has to go, I lied to you about literally everything. And by the yeah. way, you think Jennifer Aniston's cool. She's not, she was in on it. The kids, Nick Swartzen comes who, by the way, he makes me laugh so hard in this movie. He's so dumb that it's very funny, but um, it's deranged. It's deranged. And I actually, and his character, Eddie was my least favorite part of the movie. I found him so annoying. So incredibly <laughs> annoying. It makes me laugh. But, and what's crazy is Jennifer Aniston, who's supposed to be like the level-headed one here is like, you're being ridiculous. I can't believe you're doing this. Oh, fine. We'll go on the vacation. She's very blase about the fact that he's deceiving this woman in such an awful way. Yeah. And it, you really do question why would she even, I mean, other than that, the trip actually is her son's idea when they meet the, when she, when Brooklyn Decker goes to meet the kids, he's like, let's go on vacation. And then Adam Sandler's like, Oh God, now I have to take you on vacation. So it was the son's idea, but why Jennifer Aniston at one point wouldn't be like, no, we're not going to go like, what is she so desperate to go on vacation to Hawaii and, and keep up this ruse? I would just be like, no, this is your problem. Get out of it. Like, yeah. And I'm not making my kids be full liars so that you can go have sex with Brooklyn Decker. No, it doesn't work out that way. But of course 
another one where the woman right in front of his eyes for all those years was the one that if, if and the only way he could see that is by her having a huge makeover and like new clothes it wasn't her personality no. it was once she looked like jennifer aniston that's when he felt right her. she she was wearing a bikini and he's yeah. like oh okay okay yeah. right which is a, another horrible lesson but once again it's wonderful <laughs> <laughs> ladies get yourself a makeover and you will get that man that right. lying cheating man that l- full pathological liar <laughs> but he's rich so it's worth it yeah that's really the message of the movie <laughs> true but he is rich and that was a nice resort <laughs> and it was a really good vacation that was a good vacation okay next movie Anne, is one of my favorite movies uh, which you pointed out to me is deranged. And now I agree with you, but it is still one of my favorite movies, which is from 1993, Sleepless in Seattle. Oh, brother. This is another one that borderline criminal behavior. You could, you could, you could, at the very least, you could get a restraining order. Yes, absolutely. There would be police involved. <laughs> <laughs> but instead, it's a true romance. Right. Uh, so this one, Tom Hanks plays Sam, Meg Ryan plays Annie, and basically Sam is a widower. He uh, and his son Jonah live in Seattle, and he goes on a radio program one night and starts talking about his deceased wife. And all these women from across the country fall in love with him just based on, you know, all the wonderful things he's saying about his yeah. wife. He seems like a very sweet, you know, loving man and father and yeah. yeah, Tom Hanks. Yeah. Tom Hanks. And this is back in 93 when people actually still wrote letters. So he starts to receive many letters from women across the country pledging their love for him. One is from Meg Ryan, which his son Jonah comes across. And he is very taken by what Annie has written in this letter. And he wants his father. Oh, she proposes that they meet on Valentine's Day at the top of the Empire State Building. And he tries to convince his father this is something he should do yes a nod to an affair to remember exactly and then at the top of the we know how that ended that's right that's right so like any sane person tom hanks is like no i'm not going to meet a stranger across the country on the top of the empire state building that's ridiculous i don't even remember what she wrote in the letter that was so compelling I don't actually either. Right? Like, I was, I was like, what was in it that was so much better than in the other letters? I'm sure they all were very similar. And I don't even think he read most of the, I think he was just like, I'm not going to like meet someone who writes me a letter. Like, it just is yeah. bizarre. He's not even the one. It's really the son who is seeing how sad and lonely his dad is. And he wants him to be happy and find someone, find someone else. And, you know, Tom Hanks is a little reluctant because he's still mourning. And meanwhile, um, despite the fact that Meg Ryan is uh, engaged to Walter, her steady Eddie boyfriend back in Baltimore. Right. She's full engaged to Bill Pullman. She's full engaged. Yeah. She decides to fly cross country to (laughs) try to find him and meet him. And she does. She never meets him. She sees him. She spies on him and is stalking. (laughs) She literally, think about, think about Put it, if you just lay it out like this, and imagine this is not Meg Ryan in your brain. Imagine this is Kathy Bates in misery, okay? Yeah. Instead, that the woman hears him on a radio show, 
has no personal communication or connection in any way, shape, or form, decides to fly across the country, find out where he lives, and peer, literally just peering in the window like a straight-up maniac. Yeah. And is convinced this is the man for me, although I've had zero interaction at all. Yep. And she also follows them when they're on the boat. She was like following along shore. Yeah. She's stalking them. <laughs> she's stalking them. That is called stalking. But she does see him with his sister, who she mistakes as a girlfriend, and is like, oh, I, I am. That's when she's like, oh, I'm being ridiculous. Yeah. That's what it is. Oh, oh, he has a girlfriend. Oh. I guess I should maybe get back on the airplane to my fiance. Who's perfectly nice also has done nothing. Oh yeah. Pullman's, I mean, you know, that's, that's obviously a big formula in all of these comedies, you know, where the, everybody has a perfectly nice partner, but there's just nothing there. And, you know, it's supposed to provide that. Will they, won't they? But in this case, it's, I don't know. I've always found this movie bizarre and that how beloved it is just because she's insane. She's insane. And also in the end, you know, the end, it is Valentine's day and she does, she's having dinner with her fiance. She's found a way to get to New York. (laughs) Yeah, that's right. That's right. And she confesses to him at dinner that she has feelings for this man that she's only seen from stalking and heard on a radio and he just takes it all in stride. And he's like, yeah. yeah, it seems like you should get to the Empire State Building. It's like, what? Yeah, there's nothing like, that's fucked up. Why did you do that to me? Yeah. Or, or some sort of anger. Or to be like, I'm, you've really hurt my feelings. I thought we were in love. Instead, she says, I don't deserve you, which is true. That is true. Yeah, he basically gives his blessing. No, he does. He says, you should go to the Empire State Building. You should leave our Valentine's Day dinner. Yeah. He's like, go to the Empire State Building and then jump right off the top is what he should have <laughs> That should have been the line. Go to this right up to the top, peer over. And then again, just like Overboard, you are rooting for these two to get together and they do. And you're like, this seems like this is was meant to be. I mean, I guess that's the genius of Nora Ephron. Again, in all of these films, you ha- I always am like, if you cast this differently, it could, could have been a full, I mean, that's a Lifetime movie in reverse. Oh, it totally is, yeah. You know this what I mean? Lifetime definitely. movies are a man, um, or even woman, you know, crazy stalk, we have a connection, you know, and then yeah. stalks them. And then the, the end would be, there would be a tussle at the top of the Empire State Building and somebody would go over the side. And yeah. that would be the ending. Yeah, no, instead, this is everyone, and including the child, is so happy that they have gotten together and they're going to build a life together now. Yeah, it's deranged. It, that is deranged, but a great film. <laughs> yeah, you know, good for them, because it's Meg Ryan and Tom Hanks. Yeah, and they're, they're, they're very cute together, as we know. Okay, and our fifth movie on this list this is going to be the first of another double offender okay and this one is julia roberts we're going to start with the obvious 1990s pretty woman i mean look (laughs) here's the thing about pretty woman and 
Lord knows I am. I saw pretty woman in the movies like three times. I love pretty woman. Everybody loves pretty woman, but really it's a film about, um, the exploitation of sex workers romanticized number one. Oh yes. Totally romanticized. Uh, and Richard Gere is a real piece of shit in this movie. He is no Prince Charming at all. Not even at the end where you think he's been redeemed. I'm still like, he's a, not a good guy. Well, he's a businessman. That's what it's positioned as. <laughs> right. He, businessman, asshole. Yeah. He's a businessman. I mean, he's certainly not as bad as Jason Alexander's Philip, who is really the lowest of the low life. Well, he sl- punches her in the face. So yeah, I guess. <laughs> Yeah, Richard Year doesn't punch her in the face, so I guess he is better. Yeah. But yeah, I mean this story, yes, this is basically the Cinderella, right? The 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 rags to riches, you know, the rich guy swoops in and rescues the you know, damsel in distress. And the damsel in distress. And in this case, uh yes, she is literally he he is looking for an escort, but it's not even it's like an effort slash personal assistant slash sex worker. Yeah, but it's he he meets her on the street. It's not like he's called Heidi Fleiss and is like, send me over one of your $10,000 a night women. This is someone he meets on the street. He's too cheap. He's only paying her three grand for the week. Yeah, and so it is entered into as a business relationship by both sides she doesn't have any you know at least that's that's clear like i am gonna pay you she's like cool and you're gonna be at my bank and call and he's she's like all right but of course once that crosses the line it becomes it becomes completely absurd and ridiculous that you're supposed to believe that this is a fairy tale that that's what's happening here. right and and also the fact that she is in the position where almost she's auditioning to be worthy of his love when in actuality it should be the other way around yeah well i mean the whole thing the whole thing you know he's t- you know she's going to buy clothes so anyway he's transforming her and there's also a little bit of my fair lady in it because hector elizondo elizondo who plays yeah. the hotel like concierge is acting as henry higgins trying to teach her manners and uh right how to dress so that she can go to these corporate events with um rich with edward and uh act that's what it is and not embarrass him he's trying to make her fit into his bullshit world and so she needs to know how to use a fucking escargot thing yep yep Yep. Yep. And how to dress and how to, you know, and how to have conversation with people at these things. And and that winds up being Barney, the concierge's uh, job that he, you know, that he unwittingly falls into, let's just say, because right. he's, because everybody's charmed by Vivian. Everyone loves Vivian and they want to help her out. Well, she, I mean, it's fucking prime Julia Roberts, man. I mean, what is she 22 in this movie? 23. She can't be more than 23, but the whole thing, as we have said, is a, ridiculous fairy tale that has no bearing in reality and nor does Richard Gere give her any reason to really fall in love with him no that's the thing is like you 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 know I understand it's supposed to be she shows him how to be a better person and in turn he gives her more self-worth I guess is what, what the promise would be but but really you don't see a a real change in Richard Gere at all. Yeah. And he's extremely emotionally detached, which I think is part of the thing. He, like she's supposed to be warming him up to be more human, which is why at the end, it's like he decides to sort of his, his whole business 
was very kind of heartless sort of thing. And, and he's decided to pull away from this business deal that was so important right. to him. He's like a corporate raider that um, would dismantle businesses and like do whatever it is to do. Yeah. Um, and, and then, you know, he, mm-hmm. he is, he then sees her as, you know, more than a hooker, let's say a, a Hollywood bully. Yeah. Bull- G thanks. G thanks Richard Gere. Yeah. Yeah. And comes with his grand gestures, right. When she's going to leave the city and move to San Francisco. How long do you think that relationship lasts? I think they're done within six months. Oh yeah. I was going to say two months. Yeah. Yes. And the other thing I'll say about it is it's also not a, it's, it's not a great message for women either. Cause it's just like, again, it's sort of the same thing. Like, oh, if you clean up your act. That's right. And if you act like men want you to act. Yeah. That's how you'll get what you ultimately want in life. Yes. Well, look, that was the lesson in Greece that my mom told me when I was very, very little. She said, this is not right. This is not how it should be. You don't change yourself to make the person like you. That's not, you know, that's something I learned very young. Yes. And that's what this film reinforces. I just made people change for me. (laughs) (laughs) I do the opposite. I go, um, here's, here's the list of things that need to be worked on. (laughs) You go, that's not going to work for me. So sorry. Here's what you can do. Change that shirt. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I take it as, oh, so I'm John Travolta in this scenario. Okay. (laughs) Great. Okay. Well then the next film, the next Julia Roberts on our list is my best friend's wedding from 1997, where she co-stars with Dermot Mulroney, uh, Rupert Everett and Cameron Diaz. Again, this is one where there's no nothing criminal. It's just dirtbag behavior. Yeah. And once again, and I know we've talked about Dermot Mulroney in the past, how I always, and maybe it's because of this movie that I just think he's a creep in movies. <laughs> and I mean, the family stone, which again, he plays the same kind of role where he's kind of playing two women against each other. Yes. In a way, he just has that kind of face. I just want to punch him. Well, I'll say, I, I mean, the family stone would have been on this list. Hadn't we already done a whole episode about it? Because right. that also is direct. That whole movie is deranged, but we've yeah. talked at length about that. You're right. Deranged and beloved, but yeah. the same with this one where it's, you know, Julia Roberts, again, to her credit, because she's charming, you can kind of go along with it, but really she's a total asshole. Yeah. Um, she's best friends with Dermot Mulroney they have an agreement that if they're still single by 28, which in and of itself is upsetting, yeah. um, they'll, they'll get together. Yep. They'll marry each other. And he springs it on her, like with a couple of days no- notice, which is also deranged. Yeah. He's getting married. Yes. He's going to marry he, Cameron Diaz. He's marrying 20 year old Cameron Diaz, who is, you know, lovely a lovely, charming, sweet girl. And Julia Roberts is like, oh shit, actually, I think I'm in love with him and I need for this wedding not to happen. Yes. And she does everything she can with, with her best friend, her other best friend, George played by Rupert Everett to try to break the two of them up. Yeah. Including doing like, you know, what is really cruel is the scene where 
she makes her do karaoke, which first of all, why she would think, oh, I'm going to show she's a bad singer. And then <laughs> a bad singer is somehow a qualification to go, well, I can't marry her. She's bad at karaoke. That's <laughs> it's off. That in and of itself is bizarre, but also just she's her goal was I'm going to humiliate this, this woman who's done nothing wrong again. It's not like that's what's interesting about this movie. It's not like Julia Roberts has discovered that Cameron Diaz is actually a dirtbag. No, she actually says she's like the nicest person. Yeah, she couldn't be sweeter, sweeter or kinder or more trusting or more loving. Yeah. So it just makes it all the worse. Yes. Yeah. And Mulroney, by the way, is eating it all up with the fucking spoon. Yeah, well, it's not many guys who have Julia Roberts and Cameron Diaz fighting over him. No, I guess that's true. But I'm like, come on. One of the other hallmarks of this movie is that it has one of those classic scenes of groups of people starting to sing a song together. (sighs) Yeah. Which I have to say always drives me crazy. And yet all morning long, I've been singing that song. I've literally had it. It's now stuck in my head. I say a little prayer for you. Yeah. And they're all the cl- table clapping forever and ever. <laughs> God, it's so annoying. It's painful. It's so painful. That movie just makes me feel weird. Like, I, I, I know people love it, but I don't. Right. Well, again, it's like, why are you rooting for someone to break up a perfectly happy couple for no reason other than the fact that you feel like you snoozed on this too late, too bad. It's that he's moved on. Well, I'm not against uh, let's try to break this up because we're meant to be. I'll, I'll be on board with those, but it's just the way she goes about it. She's so smug about it. But it's all, let me say this. It's also the timing. It's it, it's not like she came to this realization and was like, went for it it's like he tells her he's getting married and then that is the right thing that compels her it's not like yeah they're just you know met for coffee and she looks at him and is like oh my god it's been you it's it's right the fact that she no longer can have him that that's not an option yeah she's doing it almost out of spite yeah Self, it's selfish. It's all selfish. Yeah, she's just an asshole. And he's an asshole. So maybe they should, you know what? They should have gotten together. And little Cameron Diaz could have gone on and been just fine. Because I guarantee Mulroney was cheating in about six months. Hopefully not with Julia Roberts. Oh, that should be part two. Part two. All right. And the next one also has a scene where people inexplicably are singing and dancing together. Uh <laughs> This is something borrowed from 2011. Kate Hudson and Jennifer Goodwin, for really no reason other than they must have just spent weeks learning choreography, did a dance to uh, push it. That's That was their female bonding moment. Well, I do. I like that song and I've danced to that one as well. There was literally nothing that was moving the plot forward. It was just like, oh, we need to have a fun moment where yeah. we just start singing. Because that's what girls do when they're when they're hanging loose like get up and dance to push it yes but this one so i watched this one last night to refresh my memory yeah you refresh my memory because i've again this is one that i've seen on tv a million times all right well kate hudson plays darcy jennifer goodwin plays rachel they're best friends from childhood forever and ever yeah which is in and of itself that is what makes it very disturbing but anyway (laughs) 
Um, they also, this is just a side for right now, a side note, they also have been friends forever with John Krasinski, who plays a character named Ethan. So he he knows Darcy going way back. Right. But uh, Rachel goes to law school with uh, a guy named Dex, who is played by Colin Egglesfield, who the entire movie, I was like, I felt like I was watching Tom Cruise. He looks so much like Tom Cruise. He's a Tom Cruise junior. He, I know him from all my children. Yeah. So uh, Darcy and Dex went to law school together. Darcy always loved him, never told him this. Uh, then one night out six years prior to when this movie is taking place, um, they met up at a bar in which it seemed like the two of them were finally going to sort of uh, express their feelings for each other. But instead, Darcy comes bouncing in and sits down with them and takes over the conversation. And Rachel, because this is her personality, decides to sort of step aside and leave the two of them together. Fast forward six years, Darcy and Dex are now engaged to be married. And one night after uh, Rachel's birthday party, she and Dex share a cab ride home and she confesses that she always had a crush on him. And he was like, what are you talking about? I didn't know that. And then they spend the night together. Yeah. So now she has slept with her best friend's fiance. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And they're getting married in two months because they started 61 days away. And uh, he is now confused about his feelings for her. She is sort of now kind of like, well, it's really now or never. I might as well go for this before they get married. Can I just say though, again, feelings are feelings and okay. But it's the fact that they sleep together, I think is what really takes it over the top. Because it'd be one thing if she had just said, I need to tell you this because, or I mean, really what she should have told is she should have told Darcy, you know. I need to be honest with you. I've had feelings for him for years. Yeah, many, many options, none of which were. You know what? I'll even give them, I'll, I'll even allow a little kiss. And then, and then some kind of like, oh, we can't do that. Something. Yeah. Or, or let's yeah. talk to Kate Hudson about it. Yeah. Well, and the thing, the other thing is, so they, so basically the whole summer is happening and they are in a Hampton share house. I mean, well, this is another thing. They have a Hampton share house on the beach in Southampton. None of them seem to have the money that they would need, even with six people. That's true. But that's every movie. That's every movie where they can't. I mean, their apartments are always, you know, 9,000 times bigger than they would really be and all that. Yeah. So there's this very obnoxious guy named Marcus, who's part of the house, who Darcy is constantly trying to get Rachel to hook up with. And she has 0.00 interest in him. And meanwhile, Ethan, played by John Krasinski, is also in this house. And he is sort of like, you know, constantly saying to Rachel, Darcy's not nice to you. This, like, why do you go along with these things? I can tell that you're into decks. Like, you know, he sort of guesses what's happened. Right. And of course, lo and behold, it turns out that Ethan the whole time has been in love with Rachel. Uh, but he decides he can't take this anymore. And he moves to London to try to start life anew. Right. And yeah, I mean, the entire thing in this movie too, is they try to make it like, well, Kate Hudson is so obnoxious um, that it's okay that she's been betrayed in that way. It's fine because she's kind of a, a, you know, self-involved, whatever. 
And it's, it's funny right. because too, like Dex doesn't even seem to like her. It's like, why all of it could have been avoided so easily. It's like, you don't even really like her. Like, why are you marrying her? I mean, I guess it happens a lot. People get married when they don't want to really get married, but still. Well, and he tries at one point, he tries to say something to his father. Like I'm having feelings for this other person. And his father's having, his father's like, you know, supposed to be like an old money kind of very waspy type who doesn't like any. There's your answer for how they afforded the Hamptons house. (laughs) Yeah. Well, the father is going to buy them a $2 million house in Westchester. They go looking at houses at one point, but the father basically shuts it down. He's like, you, you're going to marry Kate Hudson. I don't even want to hear about this other thing. Just do it. Jitters, you know, they would say that like the wedding jitters. Yeah. Yeah. And it is right before the wedding and his, I think what happens is they don't, the, the scene doesn't happen, but they're all having dinner and the mother is looking at Dex and can tell that something's wrong. And I think she's supposed to read between the lines that the mother probably finally said something to him. Like, if you're not into this, like, don't, don't marry her. Right. So, so yeah, so the reason this is all so outrageous is, first of all, the title's called Something Borrowed, which is, what is that referring to? She's borrowing her best friend's fiance? She's borrowing her best friend fiance's penis. <laughs> or you could also look at it the other way, like that she has allowed Darcy to borrow her, you know, true soulmate for all these years. It's, it's a disturbing title. This title is disturbing. The penis is the only true winner in this movie because... <laughs> <laughs> Venus has lucked out with with two chicks. Well, and the other thing is, so what winds up happening in the end is that Darcy confesses to Rachel that she has slept with this awful Marcus more than once. Rachel now feels okay about the fact that she's going after Dex, right? Which is so. First of all, Darcy can do whatever the fuck she wants to. They, all of them can do whatever they want. But as Darcy's best friend you know, really her, her allegiance should be to Darcy and to be like, okay, well then maybe, you know, that's the thing. It's like, they tried to make it like, it's now all okay. Jennifer Goodwin's behavior is totally fine now because Darcy, Darcy was cheating and it's not, those are two completely different things. Well, everyone, except for John Krasinski, everyone in this movie is cheating. Darcy is cheating. Rachel is cheating. Dex is cheating. I guess Marcus technically isn't cheating, but Marcus also knows that Ra- that Darcy is engaged. So he's having sex with someone he knows is engaged. No one is behaving like with any kind of pause, let's just say. that No one is considering anyone else's feelings. I just didn't like that they tried to make it like, oh, well, now it's cool because Kate Hudson was theoretically doing something she shouldn't have been doing. So now it's okay. Right. It's like, it's tit for tat on both sides. I mean, and also he was engaged. He should not be cheating on his fiance. It's there's a lot of deceit going on in the name of sort of a missed connection. Like, oh, if we, if I had just understood what you were saying that day, six years ago in that bar, we could have avoided this whole thing. We could have been together the whole time. Right. And here's the thing. They could be together. You know what I mean? It's fine. Things like that happen all the time. And like, that's okay. But it's just the way that they went about it. Oh, yeah. No. And in the end, uh, Dex and Rachel wind up together, which is what you're supposed to want. And Darcy is now impregnated. Then you find out that she's pregnant by Marcus and they seem to be a couple. And but the thing is, the, the, the friendship is gone. They're no longer friends. They fast forward two months and they happen to run into each other on the street. And. 
Kate Hudson tells uh, Jennifer Goodwin that that she's very happy, and so they're happy for each other. Yeah, but they still are going their separate ways. Yeah, and I'm a hundred percent on Kate Hudson's side in this whole movie, from top to bottom. I think Jennifer Jennifer Goodwin bugs me. I think she's always so always plays so meek. Like you're supposed yeah. to feel bad because she's so meek, and she's always uh, yeah, like, get the fuck out of here. Again, another movie where you're supposed to root for people to get together when you really shouldn't be rooting for any. Actually, none of them. You shouldn't be rooting for any of them. All right. Next movie, and this one is truly absurd in, in every sense of the word. Again, but beloved. Uh, Weekend at Bernie's from 1989. Well, this is also criminal because they're um, in possession of a corpse for, <laughs> for the majority of this film. Well, and this is such a convoluted plot. This is Andrew McCarthy plays Larry and Jonathan Silverman plays Richard. And they work for an insurance company. Yeah. And they discover that there's fraud going on. And they're both hilarious in this movie, by the way. Hilarious. Okay. They think they go to their boss, uh, whose name is Bernie, played by Terry Kaiser. They go to Bernie because they think this is going to get them a promotion. Like, listen, we uncovered this fraud. Meanwhile, they don't know that it is Bernie, in fact, who is committing this fraud. So Bernie invites them out to us. Now, this is also absurd invites them out to his house. Uh, I think it's also supposed to be the Hamptons. They think as like a reward, like, oh, we're going to Bernie's house. This is going to be awesome. But really he's inviting them out there to be killed by a hitman. So what we've learned is don't go do share houses in the Hamptons. Only bad things are going to come of that. I watch Summer House. <laughs> yeah, so, but, but, so Bernie is out there first before they can arrive Bernie is met by a hitman because <laughs> uh, he's involved in the mob with this whole insurance fraud. Right. Who gives him drugs uh, that kill him. Right. And he's sitting there propped up on the couch with sunglasses on when they walk in. And so it takes them a minute to realize that Bernie is actually dead. Yeah. And before they can sort of call the police or do anything, all of these house guests arrive because Bernie has these crazy parties every single weekend. <laughs> and they're petrified thinking people are going to realize that he's dead but nobody does because they're all drinking and they're having a good time and like you know they're talking to bernie but he never responds but somehow they don't care classic bernie and then uh the this girl from the office her name is gwen who um richard played by jonathan silverman has a crush on she arrives so then he's like well let's keep going with this because this is my chance to like hook up with her again penis <laughs> the, pe the penis is number one they're like no matter that is really you know what that is can sum up every film we've discussed by the way <laughs> if we really want to break it down to brass tacks man the the desires of the penises is what is driving all of these films all of these things yes yes yeah. and basically there's a lot of things that go on but they then uncover the fact based on the answering machine they hit the answering machine bernie before he died had in inadvertently been recorded on the answering machine talking about how he wanted this hit for these two guys so they then realize oh my god the mob is involved and they wanted to kill us they still don't realize that the mob killed bernie so they think that the mob is coming after them. Meanwhile, right. the mob has decided they don't want anything to do with those two. They really just want to kill Bernie. 
yeah, Bernie was the one they were scared was going to talk. So they're like, let's eliminate, you know, the source. Yes. But because these two have kept up this pretense that Bernie's alive and they're driving, you know, they have him sitting outside and moving his arms. So the, the hitman is sort of watching from afar and thinks that his attempt to kill Bernie didn't work. And he now is still coming back to try to kill Bernie. <laughs> yeah, it's funny. Again, a very dark subject matter. Things happen to this corpse. I mean, even though he's dead, they, they take him on a boat. They don't realize he's fallen overboard. He's His body is smacking into all these pylons. <laughs> yeah, it's defiling a corpse. I mean, that is a full crime. The, the, there's a child who buries Bernie on the beach. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's very, very, very dark, but yet played for laughs. And you root for these two. I mean, they didn't kill Bernie, obviously, but yeah. I think covering up a crime is also a crime. And you think that like rigor mortis would have really set in, like he should not be that pliable. He should not be that pliable. His body should stink. And uh, also when he hit those pylons, even <laughs> though he's dead, there would have been massive. Something would have gone, yeah, there would have been a problem. It, yeah, it, he would have been really in very, very bad shape and and probably swollen. Never He never swells up or anything. That's true. He looks yeah. great. <laughs> he looks great. <laughs> yeah, so that one is definitely, obviously, not even trying to be realistic. It's But the fact that it's a comedy, when you say this and you're like, there's a hitman, and it's a comedy. It is, in fact, a comedy. And it is, in fact, a delight. And it is, in fact, a delight. Yes. Uh, very adorable, Andrew McCarthy, I have to say. Yeah, he's super funny in that. Yeah. All right, Anne. And our last movie, number 10 for today, is Mrs. Doubtfire from 1993. Again, on the surface, it's very lighthearted. But in actuality, he's, he's um, again, betraying his entire family. Betraying them, but for a good reason, because he wants to be with them. That is true. And you do feel bad for him because Sally feel, I mean, you understand. So everybody knows Mrs. Doubtfire. They're getting divorced. She gets full, Sally Field gets full custody because Robin Williams is like not, not reliable. I mean, what's the, I don't even know the reason there. He gets fired from his job and she sees him as like, an, you know, like just too goofy with his kids and she, he wanted to throw a birthday party for the son and she explicitly said no he got a bad report card we're not throwing a birthday party for him she goes to work comes back there's this full-fledged birthday party happening and that's her breaking point and that's right. when she's like we are getting divorced and then the judge because he doesn't have a place to live and he doesn't have a job gives her full custody right and which is kind of fucked up because he is a good father that's kind yes. of like the main thing in this movie is that he loves his children like so much and is a great dad but you understand sally feels annoyed with it and is over it and that's fine but um he goes to great lengths to see the children in a way that is um deranged deranged she pretends to be an english nanny the other thing is the fact that no one as soon as he walked in the door didn't know it was him i mean it, it he does He's not a convincing British nanny. He looks like this is their father. They're right. not going to recognize their father with a wig and some glasses on. Yeah. And also like who can keep up the level of that prosthetic daily? <laughs> I mean, that's really the, the, I mean, that's the part where you go, geez. Right. And so again, it's another movie of like deceit with good intentions 
But at least this one, he's not being motivated by his penis. So to that one, I say, good for you, Mrs. Doubtfire. Yeah, I, you know, and another, in, in reality, he's almost having a full-fledged breakdown because she then starts dating Pierce Brosnan, yeah. which, which introduces another level of complexity to the situation. And he, you know, is getting a new job as a host of a children's show. Like he's got a lot. He's got a lot on his plate. Going on. Yeah. Again, yeah. for good reasons, the deceit is through love, not even misguided love, it's love, but a preposterous, preposterous plot. But also a delight because Mrs. Doubtfire is sweet. Mrs. Doubtfire is very sweet. And, and the kids do eventually catch on, thank God. But uh, yeah, the fact that Sally Field doesn't, also she becomes like, Mrs. Doubtfire becomes one of her friends. It's like, you don't realize this is the man you were married to for like 20 years. If anything, the judge should say, I'm completely reversing and I'm going to give him full custody <laughs> because if you didn't realize that was your husband, uh, you, there are some problems. There are some major problems. Yeah. Yeah. What a list. All movies I love. All movies that are worth seeing. I have to say, and there were other movies. We'll have to do a part two of this because there were like more like snakes on a plane type movie that we could also talk about. I'm sure that we're missing like some glaring titles. So please send us, send us the movies that we missed because this is just off the top of our head that we were thinking about. And these were all supposed to be lighthearted. They weren't supposed to be like the, the, you know, like, like phone booth or snakes on a plane or, you know, one of those thriller type things that are so absurd. No, these are comedies that are at its core upsetting yet delightful. Well, this was, this was a fun one. And I enjoyed this one. I know I legit might watch overboard later. Yeah. Watch it. I wanted to watch weekend at Bernie's. I still got to find that. Yeah. I, what did I watch it on? It was on, it was on just regular TV, but literally last week. See, it's in the zeitgeist. Yeah. It was on a loop. It was one of those, it must've been TBS or TNT. One of those where it's like, they showed that some one movie, then weekend at Bernie's and that movie again, then weekend at Bernie's. There's probably just go with it. Listen, you can accuse us of many things, but you can't say that we're not part of the zeitgeist. Correct. 